Hey, Felicia, I wanted to run a new campaign idea by you. Sure, what were you thinking? Okay, so picture this. I was thinking about doing a desert caravan adventure where the party is escorting merchants through a harsh environment. Hmm, it's a good start, but okay. How about you also include some interdimensional warfare as a part of it? And, and, the merchants are secretly generals in the army. That sounds like a little... Oh, 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 and the sand is starting to turn into lava, and don't forget the aliens. Aliens? Lava sand? That doesn't even make any sense. Are you wanting to create your own role-playing campaign from scratch, but don't know where to begin? In this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about things to consider before you start crafting your tale. Hi everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And before we really dig into this, uh, there's a couple things that we need to talk about that are really kind of more housekeeping. Mm. Uh, so this episode is the first in a series of three or four episodes that we're going to be doing on creating your own world and adventures. So Pre-pre-preparation. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Homebrew. Um, so... Uh, the, the episodes we're going to be doing are this one, which is on things to consider before you start your planning process. Mm -hmm. uh, second, uh, next is going to be creating your setting, so the world that you're actually going to exist in. Next is building our story arcs, our stories, mm -hmm. any sort of plots that we want to want to put in there. And then finally, we're going to be talking about those villains, the heroes. The nemesises, nemesi, nemesis, the, nemesis, nemesis. There we go. Uh, that your that your characters are going to be uh, going against that are that are preventing them from getting to their goals. Yeah, and and the thing to keep in mind too um, that I always you know enjoyed about the whole creating campaign experience is that you know you don't have to do these in any particular order. You know you can create your setting and then your story and then talk about villains, or you can start with your villains and then do your story and then do your setting. Like it's honestly it doesn't have to be linear. From point A to point B. Right. So um, I know that I have a preference. What's your preference <laughs> when, when, as far as order of operations there? So, I mean, I, I'd like to think that I normally start with a, a good story. But for my very, very first campaign that I made all on my own, um, I actually started with setting. For some reason, when I was thinking of that campaign, just the first thing that popped in my head was like, okay, where do I want this to take place for my, for my characters? I just wanted somewhere... That was unique. That wasn't just a typical. Oh, it's it's a cave, or it's a an, you know a regular dungeon, or anything like that. So, um, I finally settled on a half sunken elven tomb in the middle of a swamp uh, as as my first like campaign setting. And I actually built my story arc from that setting first. Like, saw the the tomb, and then I had to think, well, how do my players actually get to that tomb? And so, from the setting itself was kind of how everything rolled into place for me. Okay. And from, from my perspective, the way that I have typically written adventures in the past is I've started with typically a, a nugget of a story arc. Mm -hmm. uh, I have this notebook that I like to carry around with me so that if I, if I, think, of a, if I think of something that could be turned into a, a story arc, I'll jot it down on its own page. Yeah. Um, it may be a title for the arc. It may be a one-sentence description of what's going to be going on. Mm -hmm. um, um, or it could be a, a short paragraph with, with any ideas that I have. Yeah. And over time, I'll kind of fill in the pages. And, and when I get to the point where, where I feel like I've got enough to, to start players on it, I'll offer it to them as a hook. And if they choose to go that way, then I get to work on really building it out. Nice. Um, and oftentimes, the, the building of that story kind of 
then dovetails into the creation of the of the the, the nemeses. Yes. Did Nemesis. I do it? Did I do it the right? That's right. <laughs> uh, um, and and sometimes the the actual setting uh, kind of takes a back seat for me. I, I had an adventure where I was running for my son and his friends, where they we had a we had this story arc that they were going on and there was a town that they started in so that town was i guess part of the setting but we didn't really know anything beyond the town and when they traveled to the to the this ancient fortress they knew that they traveled to the northwest but there was no real clue as to anything else that yeah. was going on in the setting it was only until many many sessions later that i said you know what we've been going to a lot of places here let's build a map and yeah. so built a map and one of the players was like oh that's totally different than <laughs> what i was thinking so good in the end that, that we did that um so that's that's me uh long long story short i start yeah. with the, the story arc but occasionally, uh, people do start with that villain. Yeah, and in fact, um, you know, there was one of the pre-made campaigns I did, and it wasn't the main story. It was kind of a side story that could eventually lead to the main campaign. But the the story was there was this gang of ruffians, and they were causing, you know, wreaking havoc all throughout the village. And so the idea was to try and get rid of them, um, you know, drive them out of town kind of thing. And so that story kind of started with, with an actual... Nemesis, nemesis. Um, you know this this gang that was. If you listen to it, you're going to have this, this this plural and singular of nemesis, nemesis down by nemesis. the end of this. Yeah, we're, it's going to happen. Um, but you know that particular story arc. You know it it didn't start with a place. You know, and it didn't necessarily have a, a complete definitive story, other than that there was this gang that was causing trouble. And so the gang, and I, I think in this particular instance, took priority. Uh, in the store and in, in the, the creation of that particular campaign. Yeah. And um, I have had, I've had one or two where I've started with, with some sort of villain that, that we were, that we were building a, a campaign around. Mm -hmm. I, I've had, I've had one where I started with a quote uh, mm -hmm. where this was something that I wanted the villain at some point to say. Yeah. And I built everything around that single quote. And, and I wish that I could remember what that quote was to share it with the audience, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, it's not coming to my mind right now. Um, but I, I've gone that far where, where just a single line of dialogue has been enough to, to kind of get those creative juices flowing. Well, and I think one more thing possibly to consider too when you're trying to think about how to start your campaign is, you know, besides, you know, uh, villains and story arc and setting and quotes and you know, things like that, events is something that could happen too. Maybe there was a war uh, you know, or maybe, you know, something, you know, something, a particular event, a, a natural disaster, something like that occurred that can kind of launch your story um, forward. And that that's something to consider, too, is, you know, maybe there's a particular event that set things in motions and that's how you can start your players. Mm -hmm. So those are those are some things to consider as well. But regardless of which way you decide to go about this, mm -hmm. I think it's really important to say this. <laughs> start small. Yeah. Don't go full-on overboard plan out this massive world yeah. that you don't even know if your players are going to touch yeah and the thing is is you know what you do create i mean even you could create a whole part of your campaign that your players never even touch but the other thing to also consider is like you don't really know can't possibly anticipate how long it'll even take your players to go through the parts that you did create mm -hmm. so you know when i first built my campaign with the elven tomb i i tried to keep it simple. I kept my 
you know, I kept it a limited amount of NPCs. I kept the, the story itself relatively straightforward. Um, I, I mean, I, I felt like I made the tomb like a good size, but you know, I didn't overcomplicate it as far as making this huge, huge map. I just, I kept things simple because I just wasn't sure to how long it was going to take my players to get from point A to B and successfully, you know, hit all of the points that they were supposed to hit. And, you know, for me, I was wanting it to be sort of a one session campaign and it ended up doing exactly that, but it could have easily been split into two sessions. So even something that I had made that was, I thought in my mind, simple and small, turned out to actually grow a lot, to, into a lot bigger than what I had originally, originally anticipated. And I, I couldn't even imagine how much longer it would have taken my players to have finished if I had tried to add more to it. Yeah, and, and we kind of touched on this briefly, but just to, to bring it back up, um, one of the key reasons to start small is when you when you get your players and you present them a hook, mm. they may not they may not bite. They may say, "I want to go this way instead." And we we talked about this in our last episode, mm-hmm. episode six, on the on the creating NPCs. Um, sometimes you need to have different ways, different things that they can do uh, because maybe they don't want to go and look at the Elven Tomb. I don't, yeah. I'm, I don't like swamps I, for whatever <laughs> Too wet reason. For me. <laughs> um, um, so if you if you build out this this massive story, uh, they may just not even decide to look at it. Yeah, and and that's disheartening as a DM <laughs> but as long as you as long as you start small uh, it doesn't have to be yeah because if you put in a little bit of effort for this small piece instead of a lot of effort for this massive thing if they decide not to do the small piece it's not that big a deal yeah for sure uh, so how do we get to that understanding of, I mean obviously when we write things we want to try and make something that that players are gonna be more interested in how do we how do we get to that well you know i think the thing to keep in mind as a dm and a lot of us can get into this mindset where it's like we take on the burden of creating a campaign all kind of on our lonesomes and we create these stories and we have these expectations and it's the sole individual effort and i think one thing to really keep in mind is that you know this this creation of this campaign this kind of pre-brainstorming session can certainly be something that's collaborative right you have you want to create a story that you want your players to be interested. So maybe a good way of avoiding that heartache uh, of your poor, poor story getting, you know, dismissed by the players is ask your players, like in, in a first session zero, I think is what you called it. Yep. Um, ask your players what they would like to play. Would they like to have another dungeon crawl? Would they like to go and slay a dragon? Would they like to have some sort of epic tale with, mm-hmm. you know, in-depth dialogue and, and oh my gosh, so-and-so is my father. You know, you just... It's good to kind of gauge what it is your players want so that you can build a story that you know that they are interested in. Yeah, so session zero is, is in my mind, super important for any group that's starting out a new, a new game. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, I mean, outside the realm of what we're talking about for building worlds, yeah. it's going to do things like set rules for your game. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what sort of behavior is expected at the table? Yeah. Uh, what we do if people don't show up um, and, and a variety of other things. But for the purposes of the dis- this discussion, we are going to say, all right, what kind of campaign do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Do you want to explore your backstory of your long lost uh, uh, father and the sword of Duquesne? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or do you want to just 
murder your way through a, a dungeon. Murder uh, hobo, strike again. <laughs> um, and and so to that, uh, how what's your style of play going to be? Because yeah. that's going to affect the type of campaign we're going to do too. Because if you don't have any desire to be a, a role playing in the role playing game, you yeah. you kind of get to like stay in the corner and let everybody else do that, then maybe that's not the right type of game to build. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you have epic stories, you're going to have more of a role-playing versus your hack and slash, which is going to be more combat-oriented. And we're, we're talking about this as if the players are all deciding, but the, the key thing to keep mm -hmm. in mind when you have a session zero is that this is to make sure that everyone at the table has yeah. a good time. Um, including the DM. Mm -hmm. So if the DM wants to do this high intrigue, super role play style game, but everybody else wants to do hack and slash and there's, and you, you work and work and can't find any sort of middle ground where everybody's happy, it may be time to say, yeah, we should just go separate ways. You guys find a new DM, I'll find yeah. a new group and, and we'll maybe get something that, that all of us are going to enjoy. For because sure. if you make that if you make that sacrifice and you say, I really want to role play heavy game and you say, all right, well, for this game, we'll just do the hack and slash. That's okay. You're eventually going to be unhappy with that choice. Yeah. Yeah. You want everyone to have a good time. So uh, additionally, within that session zero, you can talk about things like what, what, anything that's uh, materially different from maybe what's in the book. Mm. So is it a high magic or low magic? So is, is magic plentiful and readily available? Mm. Uh, or, or are things harder to come by that are magic items and spellcasters are harder to find? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you need to kind of decide to like what extent and what level you want to have that kind of magical involvement. Um, you had mentioned too, like, you know, if, if you have a world where there's not much magic, then you know, those, those magical characters, sorceresses and wizards and the like, you know, may not, you know, you, those characters are going to have to be tweaked or maybe not even included at all in those types of stories because you just don't have the type of, of world that includes them. Yep. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot of the, the campaign expectations, but mm -hmm. we, you can also talk about kind of settings expectations mm -hmm. yeah. because when you build out your, your world, um, you can go with a with a pre-built world and just add your stuff into it mm -hmm. and call it homebrew and you're done. But if you're going to build out your own world or modify those worlds to a certain extent, there's a little bit of buy-in on that as well. So yeah. I've heard I've heard people using um, the Dungeons and Dragons rules to create a modern day adventure, mm -hmm. um, which is significantly different than the setting that Dungeons and Dragons is in. For sure. Um, or you could say, we're going to go back and we're going to technologically step back and, and we have stone, stone axes and wooden clubs and yeah. that's it. Um, I think geography is also something to keep in mind too. I mean, regardless of like what place and time you decide to have your, your campaign, obviously geography is important. I mean, metropolitan city versus countryside, high snowy mountains versus deep underground caverns. Uh, you know, that, that affects a lot of things. You know, if you're, you're underground, you have like, you're doing a whole adventure that takes place in like this very dark and dim place. You know, there are things to keep in mind for like, say characters that can't see in the dark. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you have, uh, a, a, a campaign that takes place on a ship in the ocean, well then your characters are restricted to, you know, the, the physical limitations of that, say that ship and being in, being in an ocean. Um, so geography is really important and it also can determine, 
And we mentioned this in a previous episode, type of monsters you'll come across. You know, you're not going to find certain monsters in certain environments. So that will kind of add, um, you know, add into, you know, the type of world that you're building when it comes to like making your campaign. Yeah. And it, it, it just to kind of add on to the point that you just made, it, it, by, by having the players involved in that, in that determination of what the, what the, the scene is going to look like, whether yeah. it's hundred percent city, um, city type scene or, or not is going to inform them how they should build their player, player characters mm -hmm. and, and what things make sense. Yeah. Um, so a druid in something that's 100% set in the city <laughs> might have a little bit of a harder time. She might feel out of place. Um, um, or, a, or, or a character that's 100% built for super highfalutin social, social interactions might have trouble in frontier land where everything is going to jump out of a pond to kill you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners in the U.S. Happy Thursday to everyone else. In addition to being thankful for our, our listeners, we're thankful for Darkwind, who is our sponsor again this week. Their sponsorship helps pay for some of the costs to produce this show. So after you've gorged yourself on holiday turkey, why don't you point your browser to play.darkwind.org to practice a little text-based escapism. Darkwind's thousands of rooms and many player classes and races might even be able to help you avoid that awkward conversation when your uncle asks you to tell him if you think he has a nail fungus. Head on over to play.darkwind.org. Oh, and have that extra slice of pie. Let's go ahead and get back to the show. Uh, so aside from the setting, uh, the, another thing to discuss in that, in that session zero is um, discussions around any sort of homebrew rules that, that are going to be included. So anything that, that, that varies from what's in the book. And we've, we've talked about this before in episode one, actually, where as a DM, you can frequently make on the fly rulings to, yeah. that, that potentially change the rules. But before you get started, there's probably things that you have in mind that are already going to be different than, than what the, the actual settings for the rules. And you, you talked about this, uh, with, with me earlier about, um, about changing how spell casting worked with mm -hmm. the verbal and oh, somatic yeah. and, and material components. No, for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, so again, I, I generally have newer players within my group. So, you know, when it comes to spellcasters, there's always just like, oh, there's a verbal component. You need certain materials. You need certain gestures, like in order to accomplish this spellcasting. Uh, I usually just go ahead and disregard that particular part. Like, you know, my, my players are relatively new and I just don't, don't really add it to our personal campaigns. You know, I'll let them select their spells. And, you know, as long as they adhere to the other constraints of, you know, you're only allowed so many per day. You can only use them so often. You have to sleep so many hours. Um, I don't really worry about the extra little components and I'll just go ahead and let them cast the spell. Um, other rules you can change kind of along those same lines is, you know, maybe how quickly your spellcasters can recover, um, you know, how long it takes for them to recover their ability to regain those spells. That's another rule that you can tweak as a DM. So like how magic works, the constraints, how it's confined, um, the logistics implementation of it can all be something that you can tweak. How, how healing works also goes into that. Um, I know that with uh, like comparing the differences between like a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons and a Pathfinder, you heal a lot faster in fifth edition. And, and going between the two, it's, it's definitely a, a mental challenge for me to remember, wait, how much do they heal if they just rest? Oh, it's yeah. just one hit point. 
okay, maybe maybe that gets changed. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we're kind of straying a little bit out outside of the the world building discussion. But but just understanding what uh, what rules are going to be different from the rule book. Mm-hmm. Um, is actually going to help you build your world to some extent, yeah. and it's also going to help your players understand what things to to optimize for their characters. Yeah, and then speaking of characters, the other thing that you want to consider is what type of classes or races do you want to include within your campaign. Um, there are some that you know aren't as as I guess fond fondly thought of by DMs. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I had a DM who was not a big fan of necromancers. He was like, no, no one can be a necromancer and we're not doing warlocks. Uh, and that was his particular rule outside of that. You know, pretty much anything else was game. Um, you had mentioned before that, you know, tieflings as a rare race isn't always something that is included in, you know, many people's campaigns. Yeah, I've seen DMs where they've basically gone to the extent of excluding all of the super rare races. So mm-hmm. you didn't see Asimirs or you didn't see Tieflings. Mm-hmm. And, and even some of the things that people might say, see as more common, like Halflings or things like that, um, they even had a restriction to the number that they would allow in the, in the game. Yeah. And it was because they were building this world that had this makeup. And... I feel like it went a little bit too far to some extent, but mm-hmm. if you're going to completely exclude the race um, and not have it available to NPCs and players, that's part of your world building. It's part of something that you need to, to make sure that everybody yeah. agrees to in that session zero. Exactly. And that goes on the other end too. Um, you had mentioned before about paladins mm-hmm. uh, and the same thing. What was the one that you were playing and you said they had no gods in the world? Yeah, so uh, one of the one of the changes to your world could be that there are are no gods, and that really seriously uh, affects several classes, like your clerics, your paladins, uh, maybe even your warlocks. Where if there are no gods, where are they getting their power from? Yeah, and um, maybe those classes don't exist mm. in the in the game, or maybe uh, like I've seen some. I saw one DM who who basically altered what where the power came from for those. Um, whatever it is, you, it's something that should be communicated early rather than after somebody's already decided on their on their character and built it all out. Yeah, so I think in, in that sense, like, like you were saying then, it's definitely in this pre-session, you know, it, it's important to say, okay, these classes and these characters are ones that can be included or these are the ones that are being excluded. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you don't want to deal with the confliction later after they've spent all that time building this character with this backstory. Yep. Uh, and then you're like, oops, sorry. Um, so the, the next thing to, to talk about in that, in that session zero um, is, is something that's been kind of floating around on the internet uh, a fair amount uh, lately. And it's the consent and gaming checklist. Mm. And what it is, is it's this big list of, of all sorts of topics. Um, the, the ones that I remember off the top of my head is, is like things like harming animals mm-hmm. or sexual assault. Um, could be just spiders. Uh, just a variety of things that, that maybe certain people have expressed that they don't like in their game. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of a stoplight situation. Green means, yeah, it's fine. Yellow means, yeah, but in moderation. And yeah. red is absolutely not. No way. No go. Never. And you were saying that you kind of had <laughs> discussions around around with your players yeah. that sort of mirrored this, but it was was a lot less formalized. It was, it was very informal. I mean, I didn't even know specifically about 
this particular checklist that it even like existed in concrete form, I'm not surprised. Um, but I mean, yeah, you have a group of people, especially new ones, like I said, that come in and out of my group. And it's always important to know the topics that, you know, people aren't as fond of. I mean, for the same reason that people don't watch certain types of movies or listen to certain types of music or read certain types of books, like everyone has his preferences and you don't want to make it an uncomfortable environment for anyone. So, you know, for me, like I have a really good friend of mine um, who absolutely hates lizards in all forms. She hates the sound, like she hates the word lizard. She hates lizards, obviously, in and of themselves. She doesn't like talking about lizards. So, you know, if, if say, she were in our group, it would be like definitely a no lizard campaign. No lizard folk. No. Yeah, no lizard, no <laughs> dragonborn probably. And uh, I imagine no dragons because big or small, she's just anti-scale. And, and I had a game a number of years ago before this probably was even even thought of. And without even thinking about it, I had my my players ended up in a in a forest that was inhabited by these giant spiders, <laughs> and they had um, there was almost this cultish relationship between this little girl and the spiders, and they were supposed to rescue the little girl who didn't really technically need <laughs> rescuing. But one of the players, when he heard spiders, his eyes just got as big as dinner plates, and was just like spiders. Oh no, no, <laughs> and he was obviously upset i didn't think about it at the time but that's yeah. something that that i i could see people really being upset about yeah and i mean these these can include other things like you know use of profane language or you know for me like in the same like way i am in movies i don't like seeing dogs being harmed at all any animal actually most of the time uh like you know i'm not a fan of like oh the dog died i'm like no <laughs> not the dog um so you know if someone were to run a campaign that involved you know fido coming to a bad end, I'd probably would withdraw myself from the campaign. <laughs> well, and, and something to keep in mind with, with lists like this or conversations like this mm -hmm. is this is, not a, this is not a way to say you can't have these things in your game. It's just a way of saying, hey, be aware that, that it, it's more than just you at the table. And yeah. there's things that, that are going to affect people in different ways than they affect you. For sure. It's that consideration to others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Moving on, mm -hmm. uh, the last kind of thing that we have to talk about uh, for our Before You Get Started episode <laughs> um, is is some recommendations for Before You Get to Homebrewing. Yes. And I know we've been talking about Before You Get to Homebrewing, <laughs> but this is kind of some specific things. Yeah. And the, the one thing I always tell people when they say, I'm looking to start creating my own adventure. Mm-hmm. Go and purchase a published adventure. If you've never had a published adventure and read through it, uh, even if you never plan to run it, go and buy a published adventure. Yeah. And and it it will help you understand kind of that structure that's out there. And mm -hmm. you had some experience running published adventures before you started uh, oh, yeah. working on yours. Was that that helpful? I think it was. I mean, I I did nothing but pre-made campaigns, and then I finally decided to take the leap of faith and create my own. Um, but fortunately, I, I was familiar, I had done enough pre-made campaigns that I was like, okay, I see how they included NPCs in this way, and I see how certain side missions led to the main mission in this way. Um, so it was it was helpful in that, like, logistical implementation of it, and it was nice to have, like, certain ideas of, okay, this is how they distributed treasure, this is how they interwove weapons and things like that. So it was, it was really helpful to me. Um, I was also very fortunate when I when I did take over as DM. It was very sweet. My group, kind of each individual person in my group, kind of gifted me with different types of either short stories or pre-made published adventures. So it was nice to kind of sift through 
all of that and just sort of see, okay, like this is cool to see how this story developed. Um, so it was very helpful for me, whether it was a really short story or an actual like multi-session campaign. Um, and I ended up just going with like a really short one-off story that kind of mimicked some of the shorter stories that I had been gifted with. Um, and, and it was it really was helpful in, in sort of guiding me uh, along the lines that I needed. Yeah, because because doing it, there there's a lot of different um, benefits from from again, even if you're not going to run it, just mm-hmm. reading through it, because um, it, it can give you ideas for different types of stories than yep. than maybe are going through your brain that you're like, oh wow, that sounds cool, mm-hmm. um, and it and it can also give you ideas for different motivations yeah. for either the the players or the NPCs that, that may be counter to the players mm-hmm. of why they're why they're doing something and give them something different to shoot for than just the standard treasure. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I personally like the the structure aspect to it. Yeah. I um, I've always as I've said before, I've always written my own adventures. But it wasn't until recently that I actually really looked through a, a published adventure. And I would say looking through that really helped me understand how to better um, at least document mine mm-hmm. um, and document it in such a way that it can be flexible so that when when uh, players zig when I expected them to zag, I can I can I can adjust and, and very quickly uh, um, adapt to what they're wanting to do. Yeah. Um, and, and having that structure actually helped me do, to do that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and for me, I think one of the most helpful things was the management of NPCs and side quests. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that I wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to include initially in my campaign because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to handle, oh, if they don't do what they're supposed to do with this side mission or this NPC, I don't really know how to get myself out of that or how to reintroduce it to them in a different way. And seeing the pre-made campaigns, how they handled it and how they introduced it and how they were like, okay, if it doesn't happen in this way, then in this way your characters can come across a similar objective and try to, to accomplish what they need to accomplish. Um, one of the fun things I really enjoyed was um, if you have players going from point A to point B and they're trekking through a forest or a desert and it's going to take them several days, I they had this nice little chart in one of the pre-made campaigns where it was like, oh, if they roll this number something's going to happen during the day. If they roll this, it'll happen at night and then roll. And depending on what number they roll is depending on the type of monster they come across. Mm -hmm. And it sounds really simple to just say it like, oh yeah, that makes sense, blah, blah, blah. But like if I were creating my campaign on my own, I would have never thought of that type of strategy. Yep, absolutely. Um, And and, uh, there's all sorts of things that you can can glean from there. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't necessarily have time to talk about all no, of them in no. this episode. But buy one or, or yeah. find one on Google or something. And, and there are, if you go to um, like Paizo.com, which are yeah. the, it's the company that publishes Pathfinder, they have um, they they have some free uh, adventures that you can download mm-hmm. and and not pay anything and get get your chance to look at them without having to buy anything. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned um, uh, in a previous episode, I bought a I bought a an, an adventure from Drive Through RPG for like five bucks. Yeah. So you can do it for fairly inexpensively and not have to to put out a lot of money just to get the experience of looking through one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like I mean a number of, of ways that you can find resources to help you kind of begin creating yeah your own campaign. Yep. 
Well, I think that's all we had to talk for today on the before you get to home brewing. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about the actual building of the setting. Exciting. Exciting. For, excited <laughs> for that. But until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy friends. friends. Hey, everyone. If you could take a moment to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, it really does help. Also, we're always looking for new ideas for episodes. So if you've got something you'd like to hear us discuss, just go to becomingdm.com and click contact. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks with our episode on building your own setting. We'll see you then.